Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. Before we get into the show, I want to congratulate Patrick. He's just been nominated to the board of the Harold Hunter Foundation. We didn't even know about it. We heard it um, as soon as you guys did. So, um, you know, just stoked for Patrick and eager to see what you guys get into with the Harold Hunter Foundation. I'm a fish. I wore the white supreme button down for the headshot. You know how we do. Thank you for the congratulations. Looking forward to putting in some work. Yeah, maybe we'll have some uh, some tie-ins or something. There we go. Congrats. All right. Thank you. Uh, next up, stickers. You want them? We got them. Uh, we're trading stickers for donations to our friend Kevin Wilkins' GoFundMe. Kevin was Mike and my editor at the Skateboard Mag and has helped countless skaters out over the years. Uh, he's had a long career over at Transworld and the Skateboard Mag. Now he's facing down prostate cancer, and we're trying to make that fight a little easier. So donate at least $10 to the Kevin Wilkins Fund, forward your receipt to mostlyskateboarding at gmail.com, along with your mailing address, and I'll send you some stickers. You can find a link to donate in this week's show notes. Now, on to the show. Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Templeton Elliott, and I'm joined this week by Patrick Higango and Mike Munzenreiter. This week, we're talking about local videos, and we're kind of doing a double shot of Jack O'Grady and Louis Lopez. Here at Mostly Skateboarding, we love local videos. The original blog was based on the idea of finding and sharing the best local clips on the internet. On Quarter Snacks this week, Mike highlighted a standout local video, Terminal, from Chicago's Deep Dish. So Mike, what compelled you to write about this one? So full disclosure, the snack man actually approached me to do it, uh, to interview Mark Dunning, who is one of the many people who film the videos. He's the guy who edits them. I actually, and it's kind of like a inside joke between me and the snack man, I wrote about back in 2017, almost like four years ago exactly, I did a feature for the Ride Channel called like, why isn't Chicago skateboarding a bigger deal in the industry or something like that? And it was up forever on Ride as, unfortunately, the Ride Channel was in its, like, death spiral of no updates. So I had a feature sitting there, and Quarter Snacks was like, hey, you're kind of the Chicago guy. You know, this is, like, a Twitter direct message. Like, you're the guy. You want to do this? And obviously, because I did it, I was like, hell yeah. Chicago's super interesting in skateboarding for the very question that was like at the center of that ride channel feature that I did because it's the third largest, excuse me, now I have to look at the notes, third biggest city by population in the United States and yet like off the radar in a lot of ways in skateboarding. And so, um, yeah, I think that's enough of it. I'm in Minneapolis. We're a couple hundred miles away, 45 minute plane ride eight hour drive because of chicago traffic but it's like it's close and yet i think i can safely say minneapolis st paul have like a bigger escape profile than chicago does and that's always weird so it's like proximity and it is an amazing city to skate and it's all those questions so that's why i wanted to do it yeah it was a great feature and i've always kind of felt the same way about chicago like i've I've skated there once and it was yeah it felt kind of like a Hmm. skate playground but also like high bust factor at the time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've always kind of wondered about Chicago and why it doesn't have like a grander place in, in skateboarding. But the deep dish video, you know, it's kind of making, putting Chicago on the map a little bit more. I think those deep dish guys uh, are doing something special. Patrick, what'd you think of the video? 
I thought the video was great. First of all, the intro was tight. I didn't realize that there were so many good ledges in and around Chicago. Um, and really thinking about why Chicago hasn't gotten the shine that it deserves. You got to think about the history of skate media expanding outside of California. And a city like New York captured a lot of that shine, right? Mm-hmm. As did Philly. Philly attracted a lot of interesting characters, not only from New York, but also from the Midwest. Atlanta, to a lesser extent, Miami more recently. Chicago's winters are brutal. And last I checked, I don't think that they, there's much of an indoor facility, whereas Minneapolis at least has a couple. So right. you, have that, you have that space where people have to congregate. But folks are always coming from Chicago, or at least spending some time there. Jamie Thomas had some great footage in Welcome to Hell from Chicago. Jesse, is it Newhouse or Neuhaus? I'm not sure which pronunciation he is. Yes. He was like the dude in Chicago. If you were passing through town, you hit him up. But I think it's just, I think it's really a question of, it's got to be the right place, the right time, the right video. Maybe Deep Dish is it. But there's, you know, there's about 50 states in the union. You know, mm-hmm. plus DC, plus Puerto Rico. There's so many places. And um, also, y'all mentioned the high bust factor. You know, Chicago also has a particularly reactionary police force. So that's the kind of place where you get caught, you know, you get busted for skating, they might be busting some heads. No doubt. Uh, Templeton, you said you rolled through there. I mean, what, what's your take on everything? Uh, I, I went to Chicago once, um, one summer in the middle of a heat wave. Uh, I had some friends who worked at, uh, what is it, AWH Distribution in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, slept on the floor there and uh, at their apartment, not at AWH. And had a great time skating the city. Uh, we, they were staying pretty close to that schoolyard that everybody skates uh, I don't know the name of that spot, but it's it's kind of like an institution of uh, Chicago skateboarding. You see it a lot in local videos. Um, I should know it off the top of my head, and now I'm trying to look it up. <laughs> I have no way of, like, I don't even know what I would Google to figure that out. I'd probably just, like, text Kyle Beachy or something. Yeah, and also, like, we're kind of, like, in this funky phase now where skate media is now focusing more on regional scenes even though skate culture continues to shrink because of the internet. So Chicago has always had ill shops. You know, Uprise is the main shop there, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so there you go. I mean, they have a key shop. There's a key distribution point. People have been skating there. People are from Chicago. I guess all it takes is a handful of video parts by the same people just coming through and being like, hey, this is, this is where it is. This is where you got to be. But I don't know. I mean, Mike, you're in Minneapolis, St. Paul. What do you think the difference is? What do you think is the thing that makes... Is it just having indoor space? Is it being able to spend wintertime indoors, staying on point with your skate game and being able to build a community with a bunch of folks who you're freezing with or trying not to freeze with? Right. You know, I did that that Ride Channel feature and I talked to people and the consensus kind of was... You know, there is, it's it's impossible, it's very difficult to get, like, an actually sanctioned that you can support with rent money indoor space to skate. Like, there's just, you know, maybe there's just better uses of indoor, indoor space in Chicago. Maybe the landlords don't want to have anything to do with it. Probably all of the above. And so that that's, like, number one hindrance. 
you know, talking to Mark Dunning for the deep dish interview on quarter snacks and other people for that other feature, like, yeah, the bus factor was high in these amazing downtown, the loop Chicago spots that are just like granite floor, granite ledges, but ultra bust. However, like Patrick, you brought up the idea of like Philadelphia, New York in, I don't know, 1996, 1997. And I think so much of it comes down to those scenes had people that actively wanted to do stuff like, you know, Dan Wolf in, well, probably what, tri-state area? Am I not sounding like too much of a poser of saying that? And then, you know, there were, there were other people in New York making stuff and, and putting it out there and trying to raise the profile. In certain ways, and this is the outsider's point of view, I, I don't think like a lot of Chicago OGs like cared to really make the push, you know, in Minneapolis, even 2000, year 2000, there was people that like wanted to be like, yo, we're here. And I don't know if there was that same like, like, I don't know if Chicago dudes cared. Again, I don't know for sure on that. It's more a theory. So it's also like 2000 was that weird window where broadband was just starting to come into people's homes and the cost of camera equipment was coming down to the point where pretty much anyone could pick something up and get semi-decent and at least edit on a computer and not necessarily edit on two VCRs. And it's just one of, it's just one of those things that there, it, it might just be for no rhyme or reason. And I'm sure there's going to be some folks listening and be like, God damn it, this such and such, this video came out of Chicago. This whole crew came out of Chicago. I mean, like Neen, Neen Williams came from Chicago. There's, more, yeah, there's, there's not early... nothing coming out of Chicago, but it, it's yeah. like less than you would expect. Like it, it's like a a low ratio compared to its population. And mm. talking about like websites and and like you know kind of getting back to the local videos angle, I feel like Chicago didn't have like a marquee website. Like you know, Quarter Snacks is New York's marquee website, and then like you know you had Post Twenty Two down in North Carolina you know, 10 skate in Tennessee. There are all these awesome websites, the forgotten city for DC, but like Chicago didn't really have a website and like they weren't like putting shit out that, you know, reached beyond just their locality, which I think is kind of what, what put places on the map. Like even Minneapolis, you know, like I was a follower of Mike's blog, platinum seagulls. And, you know, that's how I found out about weekend warriors you know, the DVD, the local video that Mike had a part in, like I ordered that video and paid, I don't know, what, 15 bucks plus shipping to see right. that local video. I mean, like Kalis was spending a decent amount of time in Chicago, if not living there for a couple of years in the 90s. But that was like peak Kalis. He was everywhere at once. You know, he was constantly moving from place to place to place. Well, I think, you know, uh, shit, I talked to Kalis about it for, again, that Ride Channel story where he's like, yeah, Chicago's like the secret best place to skate. It's not easy, but it works. Um, but it works. I mean, but it, but it's amazing. It's not easy, but yeah, you, you, you get big gains from putting in the work. I'd even add, yeah, WI Skate out of Milwaukee, 90 minutes away from Chicago, yeah, early skateboard internet. I mean, it was all built around clips, and that's how a lot of like scenes kind of built profiles that a lot of stuff grew out of. Shout out uh, to Beer City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are they still around? Yes. That is wonderful. That is awesome to hear. They were one of those companies that 
they those tiny little ads you'd see in the back of Thrasher, and it was just so fascinating. And actually, I spent a summer in Milwaukee and in Madison back mm. in 2000. And that was wow. actually some wonderful skating. That was like a lot of firsts for me. It was the summer before my freshman year of college and first time skating, like really like good banks. There was a school near my uncle's house where I was staying. I was working in his office. Um, when I went to Madison on the weekends to kick it with some family friends, RIP my homegirl, Alice. Yo, first time I ever saw a, a, a fight in an elevator. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was what it was that kind of summer. I think it was uh, to date, like the, one of the only times I've ever gone to see one of the one of the superhero movies in a theater that was X Men. X Men dropped that summer. Dang. It was pretty tight. And then we went to a, we went to a keg party. <laughs> yeah, like Wisconsin, Wisconsin. It definitely felt like with Milwaukee, and you know, this was me coming from like skating North Jersey, suburban New York, and skating New York City. Like Milwaukee wasn't bad. Like I actually had a nice time there, and the skating was actually pretty good. And there was definitely a scene. Um, I didn't get to go and hang out in Chicago till much later. And even then I was just there for, for music. I was, I remember last time I went, I was there for pitchfork and it was just like a hot summer day. All I wanted to do was like, just hang out with friends and just drink ice cold beers till four o'clock in the morning at the after I was joined. <laughs> there was no skating on that trip. And maybe, I don't know, because the winters are so harsh, you know, those summers are so awesome. You know, what if, do, do cats just get caught up? Do you just want to be like, man, let me just like, let me just get a hot dog or hang out with some friends. Uh- you you do have the four a.m. bar close. Yeah, I th- I think there is a bit of New York like there's enough to do without worrying about skating type shit. I do think wanna... two a.m. Two a- I I feel like there might be some four a.m. spots. Oh yeah, there, there's I, like a handful, remember. There's a handful of places which have a late license, and that was fun to kind of try to seek those out. Uh, Chicago is it, for non-skating purposes. Uh, those of you who are in your 20s, just go to Chicago for a summer and just while out. It's a good time. People, people, people just want to chill and super friendly. Like it's a fantastic city. I do. Before I forgot, or before I forget, because I already forgot once. A Chicago video that was advertised in 411, as mentioned by Mark Dunning, was "All We Got Is Us," which was made by uh, Doug Kenyon. So you've got those two facts, and you can find it on youtube now but i do remember seeing advertisements for that video and maybe saw it years later in a shop but there was stuff bubbling out of there but it wasn't uh you know it, it never seemed as prolific as maybe other places or as pushed as other places so that's interesting that there was a um like a chicago local scene video that like i'd i'd never even heard of and even though it was like advertised and i'm sure i like you know came across some media about it but just for some reason like other scene videos did strike me and like you know like i said i I paid good money to buy weekend warriors uh from mike's scene you know i didn't know anybody from that scene and just the video looked cool and i've always liked seeing these local scene videos seeing new spots seeing people that i've never seen before i think the skating is a little bit more relatable but i think for me i've always liked seeing the scene videos because i get to see different spots right yep right yeah and i think again if you think about <clears throat> the way that technology progressed in the early 2000s it made scene videos way more available first of all um going back to just being able to film and edit the video by yourself that became yep. incredibly easier you know by the time that most people had a home computer broadband connection right 
Then number two was um, being able to duplicate DVDs relatively cheaply. And then number three was YouTube, being able to post those videos on the internet. And I think that's what really blew the door open for a lot of local videos. And I think about, I think about stuff like that was in that transition area, late 90s, early 2000s. So there was a video called Unknown Empire, which is mm -hmm. mostly upstate New York with a little bit of Hudson Valley in there. Um, and, and even some Rockland and Westchester. So my high school is in there. There's a rail in front of it. Then, you know, down in D.C. was PG Unit and even Get Familiar. Those two, oh, my goodness. PG Unit especially, that, a lot, that was a, a big-time favorite in the DMV. And then from PG Unit, that inspired a whole bunch of people to continue making videos right up to Alley Bar, which is an ongoing series of a bunch of skaters from D.C. just kind of hanging out. And I saw one of their premieres at this bar called DC9 back in, I think it was 2013, and I loved every second of it. Then you fast forward a year from there. Actually, no, excuse me, uh, my boy uh, Paul Young, who did Nevermind. That was, that was a video that showcased Rockland, Westchester, North Jersey, the city. You can draw a direct through line from that video, featuring some cats like Jersey Dave and a lot of the bronze characters, to the actual bronze videos. And the bronze videos <laughs> were all hugely... You know, they were hugely influenced by Green Apple Skate Shop's video, Supper's Ready. Show notes points out deep Genesis reference, like Peter Gabriel era. So I think that that period, like that, you know, first decade of the new century, when you had that combination of the ease of technology, plus people being able to upload videos onto YouTube or Vimeo later on, that was the game changer. That's what made people really, really start paying attention to, to local scenes and it really showed that there was this like this beautiful subcultures all around the country, all over the world. And I think that's something that has kept skating really interesting. And and also, you know, for companies, it's exposing them to talent that they never would have found in places that they don't tour, they don't visit. Yeah, I think that's a big thing with local videos is they're kind of like the farm league for pro skating, you know, not just for the skaters, but for the people behind the videos uh you mentioned bronze and i remember um posting up a video from peter a long long time ago i think it was called sonar um it's peter from bronze right yep peter sidlauskas or sidlaukas that's Sorry that sounds right but yeah it's just like those little just like scene homie videos you know leads to you know one of the most uh influential brands can we say that about bronze Oh, absolutely. Pretty influential, no. yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they took, video wise, I, mean, they totally I, I think they pushed the look. I think that they, they, they delivered the death blow to the Hammer era. Mm. I think Bronze and Palace and their, I mean, Palace, Palace, you'd count those as homie videos. They were just kind of, you know, they had their quirky brands of, you know, respective styles of editing that they were focusing exclusively on local spots. And they were so idiosyncratic and so weird, and they presented something so it was a it was a an explicit call out to people our age in a way because it was like very cable access influence, like stoned watching TV at your parents' house, <laughs> you know, listening to rap music at a very low volume, and you know you got the cable vision, like the the the, the cable guide on TV, and you're just kind of flicking through. You know, like short attention span theater, like. And if we go back, like Templeton, that's a great point about these local videos serving as the farm league. Like 
Go back to the Sub-Zero video. Go back to World Market Rising. Think about all that talent that came out of those yeah. basically local videos. Right. I mean, that's um, that's Josh Stewart, and that's, um, fuck, who's the Eastern Exposures guy? Dan, Dan Wolf. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> Josh Stewart, and that's Dan Wolf. And those guys, you know, made a huge impact on skating uh, later on. I'd even add in, you know, Tim Fulton, who works for, he's from here, works for real, is, you know, lead camera for Ishad and all those guys. Like, he helped make Boondoggle, which one of the better to best videos that's ever come out of here. Start Davis Torgerson and other guys. And, you know, he made a couple local videos here and then went out and worked for real. You know, it's it's the farm leagues too, so to speak, in terms of the talent that goes on to, like, do stuff for bigger brands. Um, mm -hmm. I will do a little point of contention. I do think that, or at least in my heart of hearts, the local video can't be tied to a brand. It's got to be, there. there's just something like, you know, we're doing this because we're doing this. You can have sponsors. I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn my nose at sponsors because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm dating myself. Tapes cost money or whatever. And premieres, shoot, you, you'd better have a premiere when we can again. But, um, you know, there, there's just something about that really labor of love. And I think it ties into uh, Terminal by Deep Dish, where I'm talking to Mark Dunning. And, you know, he's, he's just, he's trying to stoke people out. He's trying to show the scene. He's telling me he's trying to show the scene. He's trying to sh put a spotlight on Chicago. He's trying to maybe inspire other people who might be wanting to make something to, like, just go out and do it. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, th those, are, those are my parameters for this local video talk. But yeah. open And a local... The thing, too, about a local video is that the premiere, I would argue, will be more fun than an actual video premiere by a larger company. Because people, it, it's not to say that a professional skate video is not a labor of love. Not to say that, you know, for example, like when Crail Tap, when they would do their premieres and they do them on the Warner lot, wherever. Not to, you know, this is not a, a, a snub at them. Nor is it to, say, Plan B when they'd have their massive premieres in the 1990s. But when you go to the premiere and all the homies who were in the video, they're there. Plus they know the bartender. Plus they know the DJ. Maybe there's a band playing. And it's just, it feels, you know, it is the greatest house party you've ever been to. That is one of the most wonderful things. And the thing is, it doesn't matter how trivial the trick. People are wiling. They're screaming at every single thing that comes on screen and that's that's an you know that's a, an untouchable feeling which then leads me to does boys of summer count as a local slash homey video i'd say it's a homey video i wouldn't say it's local because it's like where's it local too and also i feel like you kind of graduate like once there's a bunch of pros in it it's not not really a local video if, like under my definition <laughs> Bunch of, but I guess it's, but okay. What about compared to say, what's the one? I don't know if it was La La Land or L.A. County. What about videos like that, which mostly like Inland Empire and stuff that's outside of Central L.A. that expose a different part of L.A. skating and actually has a through line to where a lot of the kids who are getting sponsored and turning pro, are, who are skating in L.A., where they're coming from now. Yeah, I guess L.A. County would be a local video. I never really thought of it that way, but. It, it probably ticks all the boxes. Probably qualifies. Is there something? Can you make a bad homie video? Sure. 
<laughs> yeah. But like, but like, is it like I'm talking about? I'm not. I'm not talking about like oh, the trick selection is not so great because you know back in the day, filming was whatever. You know, you got what you could. Um, the standard of filming is is much much higher now than it ever was. But you know, like, there's companies that have made subpar videos, videos that are, are not forgotten. What happens? Like, what happens to a local or shop video that doesn't go anywhere? Does it just sit? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, there's. To... Oh, go, ahead, oh, go ahead. I think it just gets to sync and like you know there's not a lot of you don't have to call out the bad homie video or shop video or scene video but there there's definitely like there's definitely a possibility that it's bad and so okay uh templeton has mentioned weekend warriors that came out in 2005 and that was like i lived with benji meyer who made the video he's like the main guy and i helped edit and produce a little bit but Prior to that, in like 2000, let's say 99, 2001, he, he, he came out with three videos in a row. And I always thought, and I think that you could get some outside sources too, that like the goal was to make videos on par with just any other skate video, you know? And so in a way, that's like the, the, the bar that I hold other skate videos, local or not, up to like, you know, can this vibe with other videos that any other video that I watched, like, okay, Louis Lopez edit. Maybe the skating's not the same, but, like, the production and, like, just the unpointedness, <laughs> that intangible, like, is the same. So I think that I'm probably a little uh, a little harder on local videos than, than maybe other people are because I just, I, I got instilled in me, like, a high bar with it. That's my diatribe. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Weekend Warriors is, like, a high point in local videos. But, like, I've made local videos, and I wonder what people would think of them. But I watch them, and it's almost like a yearbook. You know, like, yeah. like I remember, like, all those people going on those trips, you know, what happened before, after those tricks. And, you know, oh, we, like, stayed with those people on that trip. And, like, this, you know, we went to this party and whatever. So, I, you know, I can't judge my own skate videos like that. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there's some bad skate videos out there. <laughs> But they're, they're all great for the people who are in them. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And what I wonder about is is the the changing purpose. You know, if you have, like, an established scene where, you know, no, nothing quite makes sense in Los Angeles, you know. Is this a local video? You know, what is up? What is down? But, like, let's say transport to Arizona where, like, Phoenix, they have a crazy deep local video scene. So, like... Can you put out, I'm trying to think of, you know, one of, one of the videos that I like out of there. There's a ton, right? Yeah, I can't you think know. of the name of that series with John Mata and the, like, the O'Shea brothers. That happy happy, happy medium. medium. Yeah, those videos are great. I'm not a fan of just naming the video the same thing and then one, two, or three, because nobody can keep track of that, you guys. <laughs> but the um, swipe at uh, Josh Stewart. <laughs> uh, statics rarefied, I will say uh real quick though yeah i mean all, all i'm trying to get at is like with these like in established scenes it seems harder to just put out any old local video because there's like kind of a the floor is set you know you can't be worse than the average does that make sense totally yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I mean obviously i'll i'll caveat like this isn't some sort of competition this that you're making sport art, 
Someone will hate that phrase. I hate it too. But <laughs> I think it's like, me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm a bit of a chauvinist when it comes to local videos because, I don't know, I think people can do really great stuff and it could be more varied. Yeah. But then I was thinking about this recently. There are some shops that don't have a TV, VCR, a DVD, whatever set up in them. So it's on one hand, you can have music playing in the skate shop all day. That's fine. But it does feel kind of weird if you're a shop and there's a hot video out and y'all don't got a TV for people to just come in and just watch it all day. Yeah, it seems like a missed opportunity. I'm saying big foul. Yeah, you can't. You got to have a means. I don't know. I mean, I can understand like it can sort of kill the vibe. You know, if you want something that's a bit more communal, you want people to come in and chat with you. On the other hand, there is like this time-honored tradition of going into a shop, looking around at stuff you're not going to buy, and then watching, you know, two, three <laughs> videos. Then it's like, oh, snap, it's 4 p.m. Yeah, yeah. you got to have something to talk about, too. Yeah, I, I definitely fully flared, maybe. Advanced copy at Familia. Got to, got to talk it out on, like, a, you know, whatever weekday afternoon that was. Yeah, that stuff's indispensable. Yeah, how long was that video? 90 minutes? 72? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, Mark Johnston was at least an eighth of that video. Wow. <laughs> yeah, also, the ideal length for a, a local video, a homie video, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the recording picks up us saying the exact same thing. <laughs> no, you can't be coming through. Uh, unless it's an hour of awesome. If, unless it's like a solid hour of greatness. Like, if, you're, if your local video is as good as questionable then okay, fine. So the local video I always thought was just apt for 24-minute runtime, and then you can have 20 minutes of credits that you don't... 20 minutes of bonus footy, credits, whatever. Nobody needs to watch it. It is not canon, but you get to put all the shit after the end of the, after the, end of the video, after the credits, after Blacks. I think that's time. a smart move. Yeah. Yeah. Also... I, I come from the school of Benji Meyer where he was awesome at like doing um, in Midopoly, the 1999 Minneapolis-St. Paul video. He did a after-credits montage to We're Not Gonna Take It, Twisted Sister. And I mean, it's old as hell and it's goofy, but I, I love that stuff. You were saying, Patrick. Yeah, I was also just, uh, you actually just brought to mind, what about those local videos that are only circulated around a handful of people, but then they inspire the next generation? So I think about one from suburban New York that definitely inspired, I know for a fact inspired Paul Young because he posted some of it, uh, at least a digitized version of it on YouTube some time back. It was a video by two guys, Andrew Johnson and Justin White. It was called Our Childhood is on Video. My friend Billy Linhart is yeah. in there, as is my friend Adam Stein. And, you know, these are guys I went to high school with. Super, super, super good. Um, and it was one of those videos that got circular. Excuse me. It's one of those videos that got circulated around a whole bunch of people, amongst whom was Paul Young. And Paul's now doing his thing in the skate game, continues to do so. And sometimes it's just like, there's that one video. It's like, it's, you know, it's the, it's the missing link. It's the thing that inspires or the, that next generation to get out there and do something. And like I think that's like Jersey Dave. Shout out to Jersey Dave. I think his first part in any video is in Our Childhood is on video. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of history in those local videos. And even just like kind of like a document of like 
oh, the you know, the first time somebody grinded this rail was in like our childhood right. was on video or whatever, and those things get passed around and like it maybe it's lore that nobody like nobody in your crew has even seen the video, but you just know you know from friends of friends that that trick went down and it's on video and stuff like that mm -hmm. there's that makes me think of uh the very first phobia video phobia skate shop used to be the main shop here in town 1998 i want to guess a dude named ty dickey did a rather long and kind of desultory line at the university of minnesota you know hop down some stairs maybe a kickflip and then he pushes forever Ollie's another set of stairs, then grinds a little rail off a off a four stair, and uh, so that's in like this ancient video in skateboard terms. And the rail got called Ty Dicky, and immediately like Ty Dicky moved away. He was never heard from again, you know. But the name stuck just by like word of mouth, seen small enough where it's like, yeah, that that's the Ty Dicky rail. Where, you know, his name is T-Y-D-I-C-K-E-Y, maybe. I don't know about the E. But, you know, like, maybe eight years after that video comes out, kids are on the Phobia Skate Shop message board talking like, hey, like, where's Ty Dickey Rail? And they're spelling it like T-H-A-I, like, Thailand. <laughs> All this wow. shit. And it's like, you know, it's, it's fun where knowing the, yeah, knowing, knowing the origin of that type of thing... And how it is documented and how you can actually, I'm not even actually sure if that video is online, but you can point and be like, this is the origin of that ridiculous uh, evolution of the naming and all of that. And amazingly, this perfect spot is still on campus, like pops up in your national videos every now and then, but <laughs> still there. Wild. It's actually, there's actually a mystery because a couple of years after Ty Dickey ground, grinded, ground the rail, um, somebody cut like a, it's like a flat bar, but there used to be a little handrail in front of it, like down the forest there, but they, cut, someone cut out the rail. Nobody knows who the university of Minnesota, which has skate stopped plenty of other spots has never seemed to notice, which makes me think maybe they cut it or it was rollerbladers. That's Perfect weird. Pass. You just yeah. reminded me too of like, um, how odd naming conventions are for spots because, you know, they actually have a, um, they actually, there's a correlation between the age of the skaters who skate there mm -hmm. and how the place gets its name. Like, there's a spot, like, way out Rockville, Maryland, like, towards the end of the, the red line on the metro called, now it's called Endless. But when I started skating it, when I, first time I ever went there was in 2000, and back then it was called Berlin Wall. You know, you say Berlin Wall to a kid who's 13 or 14 now, they're going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? What is that? But... You know, we were all alive for the, the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of Soviet communism and the, the end of the Warsaw Pact. So it made total sense. And I can't, I can't help but imagine how many other spots have weird historical names that are completely lost on a younger generation. Yeah, here's one. Um, everybody knows the spot Jaquan out in L.A. Uh, that used to be called Beneficial because it was Beneficial Bank that was housed yep. in that building. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go back to the deep dish piece you know, I'm talking to Mark Dunning, and I keep referring to that certain downtown Chicago spot as Chase. And he says, I think I'm quoting Chase or First Nash. First Nash, I have it in there as First National for a little bit of clarity. But I guess you can also call it McDonald's Ledges. And um, your OG rating increases from, let me get this right, First Nash, Chase, 
to McDonald's ledges. <laughs> Maybe I got the hierarchy wrong, but yeah, I love that shit. I mean, there's so much around, you know, it's just like buildings in downtown Minneapolis change their names, change their corporate sponsors, and all of a sudden, one financial is ING. I'm getting this twisted. The easy one is like Pillsbury Center used to have these uh, like raised granite letters that you could skate as a bank or do wallies over. They yep. took those out and all of a sudden it's U.S. Bank. Pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, boring because of the name change or boring because the, the spot's gone? Both. Yeah. Definitely both. This week, we got two shots of Stoke via Louis Lopez and Jack O'Grady. We're now vaccinated against so much bullshit, bad tricks, shitty filming, excessive B-roll. Uh, Patrick, <laughs> are you feeling any side effects? Yeah, you know, real talk, after receiving the inoculations, uh, I had to lay down. I had a little bit of a fever. You know, the regulators warned of a high Stoke factor for both of these parts, but I didn't realize how much it would take out of me. Um, real talk, though. <laughs> This was exactly what I needed. This has been the longest week ever. And to get the Jack O'Grady part plus Louis Lopez. Okay, the Louis Lopez joints. The Louis Lopez Converse in orange with the black trim colorway is tough as hell. Those, those shoes are goddamn dangerous. I need a pair for the summer. Those are amazing. The off-talked about the Rick Howard tribute at the Santa Monica Ledges. He is so good. I really, he better win Skater of the Year this year. Otherwise, you know, I'm hmm. going to have to make some phone calls to Thrasher, even though they, they don't know who I am. But <laughs> I, I might have to, you know, to be like, yo, what's up? I'm going to cancel my subscription. <laughs> I don't know. Mike, what do you think? <laughs> I think you should use a Harold Hunter Foundation seat as a little bit of leverage. Um, <laughs> so. Let's see, Louis Lopez. Yeah, I think this is the beginning of a Sodi campaign. This is the equivalence of showing up in Iowa or New Hampshire, let's say in like an odd year prior to the election year. Like this is the first salvo of many metaphors that I'm going to use to describe Louis Lopez trying to get Sodi. I think he's going to have three to four more parts that come out this year. That part was awesome because he's awesome at skating, but it was also like, all right, if you were really filming a part, there wouldn't be that many backside flips. I don't know if that stuck out to you, Templeton, but it kind of grabbed my attention. Mm. And on Jack O'Grady, like, I don't remember for sure, but I think Jeff Campbell makes those uh, passport videos. Like, that's a great video product, and uh, I wasn't going to name him because I think it was uh, denigration of Jack O'Grady to say he was just a zero skater on a cool company, cooler company. But uh, our, our friend of the podcast, Lucas Weisenthal, said that I can see it, but uh, that video is way more well put together than anything Zero's putting out nowadays because Zero's stuck in the past. But uh, I think those are my five cents on that. Templeton. Man, uh, I, I don't really think Jack O'Grady is, is a zero kid on a cool company. I, I think he's a little... A little more special than that i yeah. think he's he's got like an unhingedness that it's kind of similar to um kind of similar to grant taylor you know like he takes the extra push downhill uh and that's right. not really like a zero kind of thing as far as i'm concerned i thought the jack o'grady part was pretty good i think that seeing that cover photo like it's insanely gnarly so you know that's going to be the ender. So you're just kind of like waiting for that. Whereas imagine if you watch that video and you just saw that clip. 
like with yeah. no preparation like how in like it would it would instantly make that part completely insane so i'm think- i'm like a footy before photos person uh what about you guys so you think that because that was the cover of thrasher a couple months ago it kind of made the part anticlimactic yeah exactly it. yeah mm. yeah it lacked the drama and I, I i feel like like the video is is like the document of the trick <clears throat> you know you get to see the beginning middle and end and the photo is kind of like the art piece where like you kind of spend time with it and you like look at like all the little details so i feel like like when you see the photo before the video it's like you already know that the beginning middle and end happened mm-hmm. so like you don't really need the video but with like like when you see a photo after the video you're like oh man that's such a like sick way that they captured that trick that i was stoked on and now i'm like re-stoked on it and maybe that's just because i'm a video guy but i just think like that that's how i'd rather see it you know it's you know, it's an interesting way of looking at it because we all have enough skate history behind us to know that there was a significant lag uh, between, you know, a cover photo or photo in a magazine and something happening in a video. And more often than not, folks would, you know, do multiple tricks, you know, during a filming and photo session. And one would be in the video and the other would be within a magazine. I mean, there was like the video grab era, but this was kind of, this was... There's something about this that's di- that hits differently, and and I'm also like, you know, I think this kind of tips back to our earlier conversation about local vids, shop vids, homey vids. You know, it used to feel like, you know, it was the fact was like up until very recently, up until the broadband era, like Australia was not just far, like culturally, it was like another planet. Mm-hmm. It really, really, really was, and now to find that a there's so many skaters all all over Australia and New Zealand. Um, and the fact that they are actually pushing the culture forward, like they are, there's, there's no lag in contribution and that folks are going back and forth. Like it's been like that for probably a good, like 10, 15 years. But, you know, in the 1990s, like a trip to Australia was like, wow. Like, first of all, you made it out there and B, like just Australian pop culture and was so out of step with what was happening in the U S but same thing with the skate culture. And now to see an Australian company like Passport, First of all, available in American shops. Like, think about that. That's huge. Yeah, pretty wild. <laughs> to not to not just have your stuff in an American shop, but people are actually seeing. I was like, yo, I'm trying to get that passport joint. I mean, Australia always looked. First of all, always looked doper. I mean, it's so infuriating. You see how nice and clean the streets are, and then I look around some parts of LA. I'm like, good God, you know, <laughs> just a few more trash cans and a little bit more of, you know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, in a lot of countries where it's very clean on the streets, you actually are paying people to to do all the sweeping and such. But the spots always look sick. And I don't know. I, I Man, I want to get down there. No doubt. But whose part was better, Jack O'Grady or Louis Lopez? Louis Lopez. Yeah, I'm giving it to Louis. What do you think, Patrick? Hmm. I guess it's going to be Louis Lopez. But, but the thing about the Jack O'Grady part was that I like the, I like the music better. I like the music better. I, I don't know why. Um... FA is starting to fall into a groove, no pun intended, when it comes to music supervision, and I'm not loving it. Even though it was good, like I need, I want to be surprised by their music supervision. Yeah, I think that the FA has like figured out their music supervision, and it works. It all looks good, but yeah, it's not like I'm not surprised by it. 
except for like when I kind of like dug into what it was, I was just like, I've never heard of either one of these bands. You know, it's like some R and B shit from the seventies and like some guy from Yugoslavia. Like, like how, like where do they come up with this shit? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like Dill is probably crate digging, you know, YouTube hunting for like the weirdest stuff that he can find that works with skating. But I think, um, I think the video in Jack O'Grady, excuse me, the music in Jack O'Grady's part was better in my opinion. But the, the, it feels different. It feels different from last year. I feel like once Mason Silva dropped, you know, his succession of parts in the starting in like late winter going into spring, like it became obvious. Like right now it still feels kind of like it's anybody's, it's anybody's game for skater of the year. But like I said, like Louis Lopez just based off of this part alone, and if he if he has the parts that he allegedly has lined up, I mean, it better be his. Otherwise, it's going to be problems. Yeah, also kind of creates a good story with uh, Mason getting it and then Louis, you know, as like you know, kind of passing the torch to a homie. That makes for a good story in the mag. No doubt the uh, NBA MVP is always all about, well, it's about on-court performance, but they also like storylines. And yeah, I think Sodi could use a little bit more storyline as well. Skating definitely feels different this year. And we've touched upon it in a couple of previous episodes. But the thing about Sodi is that I don't think you can have... I think somebody's got to... It's going to feel weird if going forward it's going to be having to drop a succession of parts. Because then that's going to shrink the pool significantly. Like you, you're gonna, There's going to be very, very few left field um, candidates for skater of the year if it's going to be judged upon who can deliver the most amount of mind-blowing parts in a single calendar year because that's really hard i don't care how good you are that takes a lot of talent creativity and also being able to find the spots that look unique enough to make your parts stand out hey but you know it's skater of the year it's got to be hard when i think that there is no definition of skater of the year there's like chris sen and then there's David Gonzalez, who had like the one video part. And then I know it's more tied to, you know, who's doing what with the Meg. But I think Tyshawn is a outlier just in terms of like straight up street skater from New York. An African-American, frankly, like there's yeah. there's a lot of boxes that just aren't the normal shit for Thrasher Skater of the Year. And like it's more random than I think we think it is even though I would kind of err on the side of, like, it will not be random. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have an early prediction for who it would be short of Louis Lopez, uh, just because, like, when I say his video part was better than Jack O'Grady's, it's just, like, because he's, I don't know, one of the top seven most talented skaters there is right now. <laughs> like So it's, it's really hard to have a better video part than him. Yeah, agreed. And I'm, I don't want to get too into Sodi predictions because uh, it is early in the year. We'll see how things shake out. And I, I think Jack O'Grady certainly could have a few more parts in him. He's uh, he's kind of on fire. Nothing more for Tiago, if only for the shoes. Ooh, that's a yeah, it's possible. I don't know. He just put out like a minute of footage for Primitive, and it kind of feels like maybe that would have been saved if he was like working on a campaign Mm -hmm. but we'll see i'd love it if you made a run for it i'm still i'm still waiting for the kevin bradley sodi run you know that's that's going to be a special year if that ever happens 
I think they should just give it to him, just like Kevin Bradley for just keeping it, keeping it a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the thing. Like Mike, you made that great uh, that great metaphor to um, a presidential campaign. You know, like there's all of these. You know, there's all of these factors that allow you to start predicting like who's going to be able to make that run in the in the early caucuses and campaigning states. And is skating going to go that way? Where you know you're going to have folks who are just like you know such and such just filmed the part at Milan Central Station. Okay, this is going to be it. This is the start of the campaign. You know, Saudi campaigning has officially begun. And, you know, with the, with the presidency, with, with running for president in the United States, we don't have laws on when you can start campaigning. So literally, like, people are already thinking about 2024, even though, you know, you know Joe Biden just got inaugurated, right? You, so can't, like file, you can't file for that race for another yeah. X.5 years. Yeah. But you can campaign... That's the thing. Like, is 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 Saudi going to be like that? Where it's going to be like this never-ending campaign? Where like, how come you can't just like put out an ill part like a Lavar McBride? You know, we we like Lavar was amazing in 1996, and I'm surprised he never got recognized in the way that he he, he should have. He was the man. But like, Costin ended up winning for that year because of Mouse and probably some other stuff too. But yeah, like, why can't you just like put out a great part and, and just leave it at that? Like, you put out an ill part and sell some shoes. I don't know. I mean, it's people like us. We have a podcast, and every time a part comes out, we uh, we start oh, stacking it against Sodi. <laughs> <laughs> We're part of the problem, you guys. No, that's why we got to push it towards. That's we we got to push it towards Kevin Bradley. I'd love to see it, but I, I want the Kevin Bradley skate footage. He's keeping it real, but I'm I'm trying to see the tricks. Yo, I mean, like he's he's given us. I rewatched a bunch of his stuff recently, and he's so good. I mean, you could just give it to him for vibes, because you know what? He he he's a bit like um like a very good uh, you know like a very good second drummer in a band, right? When you got two drummers in a band, and they're not just playing the same thing and doubling up, where one of them is playing ghost notes, some you know doing some additional fills, you know throwing a little something just slightly behind the beat to kind of take the music into outer space. Like that's what Kevin Bradley does. Like he, he ups the game just by being there. And you know, when he adds something, you can tell. Yeah. It's always rad when he pops up and it's cool to see him on like, everybody should try to take Kevin Bradley on a trip. Cause I'm sure he, yeah, ups the vibes and gets people stoked. How stoked do you think? Extremely. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? I am stoked to have accepted the position on the executive board of the Harold Hunter Foundation. I am incredibly humbled and, and really, really hyped about it. Stoked on a new song by my friend's band, Tennis System. It's called Truth Hurts. The video just dropped today. I think the album should be out by the time the podcast goes live. And I am stoked on the curb spot by my house again, although today I accidentally broke my broom, so I have to go get a new one. But yeah, the, the owners of the building next door keep painting over all the murals, so the graffiti artists are getting all bummed. But eh, out with the old and with the new. Mike, what you stoked on? I'd be stoked on finding a curb spot. I actually was biking in the neighborhood, searching them out, just like double-checking, triple-checking. <gasps> I am stoked on when uh, this week I was lurking Apple Music and I came upon an album called Revised Quest for the Season Traveler, which is all A Tribe Called Quest remixes of songs off their first two albums. That thing was actually, that album, I should say, it was released in 92 and I'd never heard of it 
and it's pretty fun. I'm really, really stoked on the, quote, hootie version of Bonita Applebaum. Um, it's all super deep vibes, fun stuff. If you've been listening to the, the Tribe Called Quest forever, and yeah, I would be stoked if I could find a curb spot. So anybody anybody in the Twin Cities, Northeast Minneapolis knows one. Uh, let me know where one is. I'm ready to rub brick, seal, wax, etc. Templeton, what are you stoked on? I'm stoked on, uh, it's funny, I wrote this before I um, looked these over, but I'm stoked on some old video cameras from a coworker. It's a There's a DV camera and a Sony like 8mm camera video camera uh Mm. i i was stoked about digitizing some of my old tapes from my short career as a skate filmer but uh after looking over the camera the dv camera does not have a digital out so (laughs) i'm not going to be digitizing any tapes uh with that thing but i really do want to digitize some tapes there's some some unseen footage on there that's i'd love to share i'm also stoked i'm also stoked that last week was 100 episodes, for me, of the Mostly Skateboarding podcast. That includes the pilot and the first 16 episodes from the original run before I got everybody else involved. So I'm stoked on that. But that's not, to me, that's not like the official 100 episodes. I feel like the the true, real Mostly Skateboarding podcast starts um, with the crew, you know. The, The original run was just an experiment. But stoked that that, you know, that milestone is coming up pretty soon for us so i'm, I'm excited for that one hundo and uh that's it for our show this week be sure to check mostly skateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes until next time you can keep up with us all week online mike where can people find you <laughs> kept us guessing i am on twitter and instagram under the same handle at m munzenrider patrick where are you on the internet let's see uh i'm on twitter at Colonel K Speaks, usually tweeting about skateboarding, politics, and Premier League soccer and the French national soccer team. And you can find me on Instagram, being weird, at Pikagongo, and occasionally on Clubhouse. Uh, we really should get some kind of a big chat going on in there, but recently it's just like a bunch of bros talking about NFTs, and I cannot vibe with that. <laughs> Templeton, where can the people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding and on Twitter at Mostly Skate. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Apple rum, gotta put me on. Hey, hon, hey, hon. Put me to Apple rum. Hey, hon, hey, hon. Put me to Apple rum. Hey, hon, hey, hon. Put me to Apple rum. Hey, hon, hey, hon. Put me to
words of the immortal sweet daddy. I'll never shed a tear, but then again, I won't steer. You're wrong, I still you're strong for affection, steer here. I'll take you to a place that's farther than the you know. What do you know if we go to El Segundo? Your presence should be closer, like on Buddy, I'll toast to the ever clever you to say the least, you're the most. Honey, you're my honey, and your dip, you're my dip. Treasure and forever, there'll be pleasure with tip as we glide and move. Cushion like a pillow that's soft and smooth. Rickety said we got to show and prove. Do it to the music, that's the raw butt groove. Intimidate the boy, Cupid, that's his name. Picking on the suckers, it's his flipping game. But tip me fall for that. Instead, I'll get the natives and we'll rush to the latest Lampston store. Get a six pack of hats for. Hey, 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 h